It is time to dig deep with Stacy and Stacy, a podcast for anyone hungry for God and willing to tackle today's relevant issues with authentic conversations inspired by Holy Scripture, prayer, and devotion to the sacraments. Hosted by two Texas gals who went to the same country Baptist church as little girls, had crazy lives, and found each other again decades later as Catholic convert wives and moms. Get ready, y'all. They're fixing to get real. I'm Stacey Parkinson. And I'm Stacey Trisankos. This is the Stacey and Stacey podcast. Today is <laughs> October 11th, Tuesday of the 28th week in ordinary time. <laughs> I love In all case the you were wondering. <laughs> Tuesday, October 1 1. And uh, this morning, we are going to talk about Stacey is taking her inspiration from the optional reading of. The Memorial of St. John the 23rd, XXIII, St. John the 23rd. St. John, in case you don't know, was Pope from October 28th, 1958 to June 3rd, 1963. So just for a short time, but he was very loved in that short time. And so the memorial readings today, the optional memorial, are in honor of him. We talked about freedom yesterday, that we're not children of, we are children of the freeborn woman, not of mm -hmm. the slave woman. And uh, we wanted to continue talking about freedom because the scriptures continue to talk about freedom. And this time talking about the freedom we have in the church to disagree with each other, with the Pope. Um what what is freedom? Because you know that's a question you can ask. If everybody's free to disagree, then do we have any unity? And there actually is a document called Instruction on the Ecclesial Vocation of the Theologian. And I remembered something I thought was very significant in this document when I was studying theology. So I had to read this in a dogmatic theology class, but it has a paragraph in here, paragraphs 26 and 27 that talk about the unity of truth and unity of love and how, and it just made me think of a big family. It's kind of like you, you can't have people arguing. So anyway, we want to dive into that and share that with you more because I think it's helpful in understanding how to navigate these confusing times in the church, um, but also how to like navigate chaos in your own family. Yeah. So we'll get, we'll get into that later. First prayer and scripture from the other Stacy. <laughs> Stacy okay. F. Yeah. <laughs> we forget which one we are sometimes. Sometimes we, yes. <laughs> okay, here we go. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, have mercy on us and on the whole world. Thank you, Lord, for being with us today, for always being with us, for never leaving us or abandoning us. Um, Please open the eyes of our understanding that we would comprehend your scriptures. Give us fresh eyes to see you and ears to hear in Jesus name. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And as always, I encourage you to grab a cup of coffee, cup of tea, spend some time with the Lord and the scriptures today. Okay, just a quick reminder. You, get, you can get the daily readings from the usccb.org uh, site. There you'll find um, in the daily reading, there's usually 
um, a daily reading, <laughs> a responsorial psalm, an alleluia, which is just a very short uh, couple of lines, mm-hmm. um, and then the gospel. Mm-hmm. So the responsorial is called that because there is a response that's repeated and someone will sing a few lines or read a few lines and then everyone will say the response together. So today the responsorial is taken from Psalm 23 and the response is, the Lord is my shepherd, there is nothing I shall want. But instead of reading the responsorial with the responses and repeating that over and over, I'm just gonna read Psalm 23. This was the first set of scriptures I ever memorized as a child. So this this reminds me, Psalm 23 reminds me of my childhood. (laughs) So I'm gonna read the whole thing. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Okay. So King David wrote this psalm, and it's actually thought that he wrote 73 of the psalms. And this was probably, I would say, probably one of the most well-known psalms. Um, Everybody's heard this one. So some of the things that just kind of spoke to me as I was reading or, or, you know, made me take pause. Um, The shepherd you know, a shepherd leads his sheep, protects his sheep, he, he feeds his sheep. So we see all three of this in this psalm. And I just wanted to kind of touch on all three of those. Um, where it says, he leads me beside still waters. When I read this, I, it just sounds so peaceful. I think that maybe this psalm is so comforting to me because it reminds me of my childhood. But when I read this psalm, it's comforting. It's peaceful. I mean, I imagine when I read this line, just peaceful waters. I I can't stand to be in a boat that's rocking back and forth. I I just, I would get seasick. I just can't stand that motion. But I love to watch uh, from the shore, a safe place. (laughs) I love to watch the water. I love to watch the sun dancing on the water. Uh, I love a still, water to me is soothing. Um, and so that's where my mind goes. Uh, just calm waters, be still and know that I am God. Um, just that peace, that comfort, that rest. And one might think that we, when we follow Jesus, he will always lead us by still water and we'll avoid any turbulence. And there's no, you know, some people think that when you start walking with the Lord, you don't ever have any problems. But that's just not true. I mean, it's not always rainbows and butterflies. There's going to be tribulation. There's going to be struggles and challenges that we walk through. And the word even tells us that that we will walk through things. But it also tells us that he's always with us. Um, It tells us that he's overcome, tells us that he's already won the victory. I mean, we know how the end of the we know how the book ends. Right. I mean, we win. (laughs) So one might think that. And that uh, even though it might be always a, uh, an easy walk with the Lord, it's not. 
However, it goes on to tell us that even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is, this is where the good shepherd protects us. When we follow Jesus, he, he fights for us. He comforts us. He fights for us. He protects us. And as we often say, even in the midst of storms, you know, just a few weeks ago, I think we were talking about how Jesus was walking on the water and, and it was a storm. He was walking on the water in a storm. And even Peter walked out towards him. And then Peter started to sink because he focused on the storm. So there are always storms, but the key is to stay focused on Jesus and know that he is with you. And even if we start to sink, Jesus is going to reach out and grab us just like he did for Peter. And I know all the storms, they look different for each one of us. And as a good shepherd, he feeds his sheep. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He feeds us. And we can actually be fed every single day. Another favorite comforting line in this psalm, my cup overflows. This reminds me of a verse in Psalm 81 that says, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. I love that. And then this scripture reminds me just to the progression of where my mind went. This scripture reminds me of a song. I had a relative, a very, very distant cousin that was a singer, and she actually re recorded a song that was written by Richard Blanchard, who actually wrote this song in less than 30 minutes, including the music. Wow. Um, and I know a lot of people have sung the song, but when I hear it, I think of her because I used to listen to her record when I was a little girl. And again, this reminds me of my childhood. So sentimental here. But the mm. chorus, I'm just going to read the chorus and see if you recognize it. Fill my cup, Lord. I lift mm -hmm. it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Fill my cup, fill it up and make me whole. Now, of course, now that I'm Catholic, Catholic, that bread of heaven takes on a whole new meaning for mm -hmm. me and it makes this song even more special the scripture in psalm 81 says open your mouth wide and i will fill it and that reminds us of just opening our mouths and taking the eucharist on the tongue in a posture of surrender we are filled we have to lift our cups to the lord trusting that he will fill them to overflowing he leads us and that also reminds me of that scripture that says, whether I turn to the left or to the right, I will hear a voice behind me saying, this is the way, walk in it. Oh, that's how I want to be led by Jesus. I so want to hear his voice. He protects us. The Bible tells us that the battle is the Lord's, that he will fight for us. And he feeds us. When I read this psalm, I feel like I have just been wrapped in a warm blanket. It is just so comforting to me. This is, um, I, I love this psalm. Oh, one sec. Were you done? I don't want yes, to interrupt yeah, you. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just might, I'm actually, this makes me tear up. I just, I just no, love it this. Is. I think it's because it reminds me of being a little girl. girl. And just, you know, it just, it's very sentimental to me. 
Stacey, you don't know I'm going to say this, and I know that that might strike fear in your heart. (laughs) There was something when I became Catholic and I was studying um, dogmatic theology. This is going to make me cry, too. Um, I learned I was reading an old book on theology about on the liturgy. Okay, so the liturgy is like what we practice at church and, and on the sacraments, the seven sacraments, especially the sacraments of initiation, baptism, mm-hmm. um, first communion and confirmation and reconciliation. And I came across in the book, it's it's a 1956 book called the, and that fits, that's fitting with the time period of the Pope we're, we're honoring today. Oh, yeah. In the Bible and the Liturgy. So it's just called The Bible and the Liturgy by Father Jean, um, I can't pronounce the middle name. It's Daniel Lou, Daniel Lou, D A N I E L O U. It's French. I'm sure I'm not saying it right, <laughs> but Daniel Lou. Um, and uh, SJ. And so, he wrote on the mystagogical writings of the church fathers and how the psalm was used. So this psalm that you're talking about, and this is what he was writing about back in 1958, but he was a scholar of early Christian fathers. And he says that the early Christian fathers, and he gives like hundreds of quotes and citations from their writings, they used Psalm 23 to teach new Christians about the sacraments. Mm. And so what that means is this psalm was always used to indicate, I mean, I think it's amazing that as Protestant little girls, this was the psalm that was closest to our hearts because it was mine as well. <laughs> that was God calling us to his church all along. <laughs> That's awesome. And, and, the, and just to give you an example real quick of what I mean, he talks about how the church fathers say, the Lord is my shepherd. That is... Um, us recognizing that Christ is the teacher, that first of all, we must become sheep of the good shepherd. There's nothing I'm lacking. It refers to nourish. Um, the Lord leads me and nothing is lacking to me. That's it's, it's like the woman at the well story that if we drink of the living water, we'll never be thirsty again. It's, yes. it, that's what it's talking about. There's nothing I will lack. In the green pastures, he makes me lie down. Um, those are understood as the words of the Bible that are always fresh and green, living words of the Bible. That is where we nourish our hearts along with the Eucharist. That's where we nourish our hearts and find spiritual strength, just like you do all the time, Stacy. And it says this to still waters. He leads me. That obviously is referring to baptism. So we're be- they use the psalm to show early Christians how you're being drawn into the sacraments of the church. He restores my soul. That is the chalice of the whole Holy Eucharist. The wine he talks about inebriation, um, the joy of of being filled with grace, not not a not drunken inebriation, but inebriation with the joy of grace guides me along right past for his namesake. That that means we have to continually be catechized by the church, continually be led, continually be taught in scripture and tradition, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Um, And that refers to our confirmation when we're confirmed as Catholics and filled with extra graces to um, be able to endure the turmoil and the evil that we'll have to walk through. I'll fear no evil for your rod and your staff comfort me. Rod and staff were early, early used in, in the sacrament of confirmation for that reason, to strengthen us as soldiers for Christ. You set a table before me. Think of the early catechumens um, robed in white, processing towards 
the table of their first communion. You set a table before me in front of my enemies. A lot of the early Christians were martyred. They're in white. They're yearning for the living water for, to be inebriated with joy and grace. And they're walking in this procession towards the Holy Eucharist for their first time, knowing it might cost them their life. Um, anointing your head with oil. They do that at confirmation. My cup overflows. Again, that refers to the Eucharist, the wine, the chalice. Um, but all of these things, and then in goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life, that once you become a Christian, you're a new creature. And, and so all of this was used in the early Christians to dr draw them into the sacraments of the church. And, and like when I read that, I'm like, God was leading me towards the church even when I was a little girl. Yeah, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. And that's what that's what we mm -hmm. want. We want to dwell in the house of the Lord, and um, you know, in the we church, can, and we can do that. Yeah, we can go to church. We can go to daily mass. We can be fed daily. It just takes on a whole new meaning from reading it as a Protestant little girl to now, especially after you just explained, you know, walked us through it in light of being Catholic, it just takes on a whole new meaning. It's, it's more um, powerful. It's deeper. It's the, it's rich and uh, rich in truth. And, mm -hmm. you know, um, it makes me think of even in my own family, uh, you know, there's so much that I wish that I could have taught my children when they were little, but, you know, right. I didn't become Catholic till I was older, but, um, you know, for all the the young moms out there, I'm glad that you just explained that because now they can explain it to their children yeah. in their own homes. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. And there's, it's like you say, Stacy, all the time that when you became Catholic, it wasn't like you had to shed anything from being a Protestant. You, it, you just got fuller. You got more of mm -hmm. the truth. That's right. And, um, and we encourage that to any Protestants considering the Catholic church, like it, you're not, you're not going to deny Christ. You're not going to deny the psalm, you know, that things like that psalm have a much deeper meaning than than you might realize. Yeah. The um, speaking of of treasures of the church and turning now to the tradition part of the podcast. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it all fits together, scripture and tradition there. It, it's like you need both. There's something that that's kind of been heavy on my heart Um we try not to be critical on this podcast and mostly just talk from our own position and our own experiences, but it's so hard on a new Catholic. And I, I think it's hard on every Catholic that once you find the fullness of truth and you enter communion of the Catholic church and you understand all of this, you start to understand, like, I don't think you ever fully understand it all. Like, I feel like I could be digging around in that treasure chest from the church for my whole life and never touch a 10th of it. Um, but once you start diving into this new mystery and truth that's opened up before you as a Catholic, it's really confusing when you hear Catholics fighting. So it, it's difficult for Catholics when there is discord among Catholics in the church. And 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 like we know there is going to be like you you can't really have a large you can't have a you can't even have a family of like four or five or 10 or 13, you can't even have a family, extended family without there being some disagreement and some discord. So it makes sense that in the church family, there would, of course, among humans be some discord. But the church 
actually addresses this. This is something I had to learn in um, a dogmatic theology course. And it's an encyclical called, it's from, the, it's not an encyclical, it's from the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. It's an instruction, Donum Veritatis, on the ecclesial vocation of the theologian. This document was issued uh, by, by then Prefect Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger um, on May 24th, 1990. So it's from 1990, so it's fairly recent in the history of the church. And it's talking about the role, the vocation of the theologian. But the reason we had to read it in our class is, you know, we are studying theology, so we need to understand the norms of the church and the roles of the that different people play in the church. And this was about the role of the theologian. But it spoke to this discord, and I thought it was beautiful and applicable to all of us laity as Catholics. Um, because what does a theologian do? A theologian studies divine revelation, studies scripture, studies tradition, and tries to make sense of it in the modern day, not changing. So the theologian is not there to change the truth. The theologian is there to further develop our understanding of the truth. That took me a while to understand because I'm like, what do you mean doctrine develops? I thought it didn't change. It doesn't change. Dogma does not change. Doctrine develops in the sense that doctrine is teaching and that our understanding of divine revelation and scripture deepens as time goes on. It, it deepens within our own lives, but it deepens across the course of humanity as well. And so a theologian's job is to shed light on the teachings of the Catholic Church and make sense of them in the theologian's day. So obviously you're going to have theologians who don't agree then with that freedom, that academic freedom they have. You have their this um, this approach of theologians then to sometimes critically examine doctrines. And the instruction there given is even when there's collaboration taking place in the best conditions, the possibility cannot be excluded that tensions will arise between the theologian and the magisterium. So the theologian as a child of the church and the magisterium as the, the, the parenting of the church, the teaching arm of the church. The, the bishops in communion with the Holy Father. The meaning attributed to such tensions and the spirit with which they are faced are not matters of indifference. So the tensions arise because people care. They're not just indifferent. They care about searching for the truth. If they don't spring from hostile and contrary feelings, they can become a dynamic factor. Like that controversy can lead us to a deeper understanding of the truth. But the encyclical, I mean, the instruction, not an encyclical, says... In paragraph 26, and I'm going to read this one. In the dialogue, a twofold rule should prevail. And it's this twofold rule that I want to highlight. When there is a question of the communion of faith, the principle of the unity of truth, unitas veritatis, applies. So the unity of truth applies when there's a question of communion of faith. If, if, um, if there's if there's a lacking of if it goes that far where there's a lacking of the communion of the unity, we need to come back to the unity of truth and remember that as Catholics, we are united in the truth. We may have our personal differences, but we're united in the, in truth. the truth. When it is a question of differences which do not jeopardize this communion, the unity of charity, unitas caritatis, 
should be safeguarded. So that's a Latin and I hope I'm saying it right. But when there's a question of differences which do not jeopardize the communion, unity of charity should be safeguarded. And what they're saying here, even if the doctrine of faith is not in question, the theologian, and this applies to laity, all children of the church, will not present his or her own opinions or divergent hypotheses as though they were non-arguable conclusions. Respect for the truth as well as for the people of God requires this discretion. And it cites Romans, 1 Corinthians. Um, so the theologian will refrain, refrain from giving untimely public expression to them. And I'm thinking when I read that of people in the, in the Catholic social media, in the Catholic media, they're constantly not following this advice. They're constantly breaking the unity of truth and breaking the unity of charity. Um, because some people say, well, I'm, I'm, if, as long as I'm speaking the truth, that is what I'm doing in love. No, you, it says respect for the truth as well as for the people of God requires discretion. So you're not supposed to hurt people with the truth and you're not supposed to scare people and you're not supposed to make people think the family is divided. There is a great responsibility for anyone who speaks publicly about being Catholic. Mm -hmm. If you do have a voice or a platform, even if you're just talking to people in your family or your, your friends, don't start railing against the Pope because that is not helpful. <laughs> no, no, no. It just causes division, right? I mean, it says in the word that, you know, house divided cannot stand. So, I mean, we're not called to cause division. We are to be unified in our faith and our belief mm -hmm. and even in our families. You know, we wouldn't get on there and post all this stuff about our moms and dads, even if there was, exactly. you know, um, disagreements and, you know, I mean, like you talked about earlier, every family has its own family dynamics. And, you know, there's always you put different personalities together. And because I don't care if you have the same mom and the same dad. I mean, two yeah. kids with the same mom and the same dad are going to be completely different. <laughs> Amen. Amen. You know? So, I mean, there's always going to be those those um, arguments, those disagreements. And, you know, we have to bring unity even in small, you know, the family environment and God, the church, we are God's family and we don't want to cause division. I mean, there's enough. The world is coming against us. There's so much against the church in the world. We don't want to side with the world. Yeah. By, by doing that, by by causing that division, by stirring up strife, by being a spoon. <laughs> <laughs> Here you go. We, Take your are, strife. we are siding with the world world and we're not supposed to do that we're supposed to link arms with god and we're supposed to um be that unifying you know voice and 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 yeah i know we can disagree absolutely but we don't have to do it so publicly i guess yeah and because it, it is it is confusing i mean a lot of catholics will probably be disagreeing with us at this point saying oh what are you saying are we just supposed to sit back and and never try to enlighten the church, never try to point out when the Pope says something we don't like, never try to point out when there are cardinals and bishops who do things we don't think is right. We're not supposed to speak up. Um, you are, you. I mean, I personally, I don't. I, I don't openly criticize bishops or the Pope. I've made a choice in my writing and in my life not to do that. I don't criticize them openly. Um, there are times when I have questioned what a bishop said or question what a cardinal said or did. And there are times I've been confused by what the Pope said, but I don't 
I don't, you won't find me writing about that. Um, the, the closest I ever came was during COVID when I, I, I was saying to the bishops, speak up about the fetal tissue um, issue with the vaccines and speak up more. And I wanted them as a body to speak up more. But even then, I didn't criticize individual bishops for what they were doing, um, because I think it it's destructive to the church. Um there are, but when you do, so what does it say here? So you're just supposed to shut up and never say anything? No, the advice for the theologian, and I think we can take this advice as laity too, there is a way to responsibly, it says in cases where there's disagreement, even after a, a despite a loyal effort to solve the problems, the theologian should avoid turning to the mass media, but have recourse to the responsible authority. For it is not by seeking to exert the pressure of public opinion that one contributes to the clarification of doctrinal issues and renders service to the truth. Mm -hmm. So it is not by seeking to exert the pressure of public opinion that you're going to clarify anything. And that's just such a human thing because it is like with our kids. If if we had a son who didn't agree with dad and the son was running around to the other kids saying, dad's an idiot. Dad doesn't know what he's talking about. Dad's so terrible. Oh, you can't trust him. Then the little kids are like, what? I can't trust they dad. Asleep. Right. They fall. And now they don't know who to trust. Do I trust my big brother that's telling me don't trust dad or do I, do I trust my dad? And like mm -hmm. it just sows discord and it's not helpful. And what the what the what the instruction is saying here is. There are responsible paths to solve this. You can, you don't have to go post it on Twitter or Facebook. You can talk to responsible authorities within the church. And I know some people are probably thinking, yeah, that doesn't go so well. It might not. But remember, our lifetimes are a blip in the history of the church. We have to solve the problems we have to solve right now. And there are definitely times in the church when I'm thinking, God, why did you show these things to me? Because it's just made me sad and made me worried and made me anxious. And the, the answer I've gotten over time is maybe, Stacy, you're not going to see all the things that might be going wrong with people in the church because I want you to see the joy and beauty of the living church itself alive in your own life right now in your friends and your family and, and your friendship with Stacy and that that maybe there might be discord going on in the church. But what what I hear God saying to me more and more is, okay, be that joyful Catholic that people can still see there is joy. Um, there is unity of truth, unity of love, and and uh, look for ways to contribute to the unity and don't look for ways to contribute to the discord. This reminds me of a scripture in um, Ephesians. It talks about until we come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And it's just mm -hmm. talking about, you know, equipping the saints for the work of ministry and building up the body of Christ. And, you know, I think, like you said, there's a way to bring unity or even to disagree without causing yeah. you know, division. If you do have a disagreement, it really is. Um, a matter of th there needs to be prudential judgment there. If you have a disagreement, you need to think about uh, empathy. I, I guess it's just plain old fashioned empathy. Think about the effect it's going to have on other people. If you just start posting about it on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, and if you start talking about it among your friends and family, you're, you're sowing doubt in the very church that people need to have faith in right now. And yeah, there may be confusing things going on, 
But maybe that is just a call for you to to sit back and take a deep breath and calm down and try to understand what the Pope is saying and try to understand what the bishops are saying. And and I know there's a lot of fear among Catholics right now that there's a lot of bishops and cardinals in the church who are intentionally trying to destroy the church. And so they think they have to call out these cardinals and bishops to protect the church. But if you think about a family and kids acting like that towards their parents, I think it's pretty easy to see how that's not even going to be helpful. The church has endured harder times than what we're going through right now. And the reason the church endures is because of the Holy Spirit, that the truth will stand and the gates of hell will not prevail. That's true. But also what pulls through down through the ages are the joyful Catholics, the Catholics who still find the joy and the peace and the love and the harmony and the unity and who can still see above all of maybe the tensions going on in the church in this given moment in time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and so I think during our times, we, we should even more appreciate access to the sacraments. We should even more appreciate Mm -hmm. access to the treasures of the church. Mm -hmm. And even though we think there are bad cardinals and bad bishops, I don't, but I think some, I know some people do. I think then we need to pray for them and not speak openly and cause further discord. And I'll just leave that right there because I know there's a lot of people that will disagree with that. And so maybe I'm not 100% right in saying don't ever, ever, ever speak up. But I do think there has to be a responsible way to do it. Because when you just post stuff that makes people worried about trusting the Pope, of all things, that's not helpful. It's not helpful. It's very damaging to the unity of the church. Okay, on that happy note, we will close out. I'm Stacy Trisankos. And I'm Stacy Farquharson. <laughs> Until next time. If you are interested in bringing Stacy and Stacy to your parish or study group for a retreat or a talk, they would love to come liven things up and keep it real. Please see stacyandstacy.site for more information.